Last week we started a new series of sermons entitled Connecting. The, the reality is that there is tremendous power available when we connect with God and with the people of God. And there's also amazing potential for kingdom growth when we as believers begin to connect with people outside the church who don't know Christ yet. And I said last week, and I'll say it again, I believe this is a great church, but this, this is a great church that can become even better. This church is, is filled with people who really love Jesus, and we, when we meet together, the presence of God fills this place. We've experienced that already today. This church is characterized by unity, which is the most precious thing a church can possess. Uh, and the Bible says that when there is unity, that's where God commands His blessings. And the unity of this church, can I tell you this? The unity of this church is something that is to be guarded, and it is something that, to pray that God will protect because Anytime God begins to do something, and I'm just telling you this, let me just warn you beforehand, anytime God starts to do something, the first thing the enemy will try to do is try to bring division. Every time. And so somebody here is going to get mad at somebody else in the church, or you're not going to like something, and you're, and listen, don't fall for it. That's the enemy, and we need to guard that. And how do you guard that? This is not the message, but this is free of charge, no extra offering required, all right? How do you guard the unity of your church? That means when somebody comes to you and they say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You look at them in the eye and say, no, and you're not going to tell me because I'm not going to be part of that. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Well, we be, let's move on. That's a whole different message. Maybe I'll preach that another time. Listen, while I believe with all my heart that this is a wonderful church, I, my earnest desire is that we would become more effective than we have ever been in the history of this church before. Uh, you know, we are, the reality is we are closer today to the return of Christ than at any other time of history. And I don't know about you, but there is a sense of urgency in my spirit. As we see the day approaching, we need to have a passion like we've never had before. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. We need to work like we've never worked before. We need to do what we can because the, the time is running out. There is a day when Christ is returning. And on that day, all the opportunity to reach people for Christ will have ended for us. Yeah, I, I remember I had lunch with a... Uh, Actually, dinner with a great missionary. His name was Dwayne Jones out of Oklahoma. And I remember him during that meal looking me across the table. And he looked at me and he said, uh, we were talking about what God was doing. And he said, Dave, he said, we're not, we're not running out of money. We're running out of time. There's, there, should, there needs to be a sense of urgency. And, and here, my prayer for us as a church, my prayer is that, at, at, that, that this church will reach more people for Jesus in the next two years than we've been able to reach in the last 30 years. How many of you think God can do that? Do you believe that's possible through the power of God? Well, I'm asking God to increase our effectiveness and help us to do more than we've ever done before. I want you to know it's not just me, but, but the leadership of this church is not interested in the status quo. We're not interested in maintaining things as they are. We want to go forward. We want to do new things. We want to reach new people. We want to take new ground for the kingdom of God. We don't want to just keep showing up and doing the same thing over and over again because we have a mandate given to us by Jesus himself to make disciples in the city of Marion and in Crittenden County and everywhere that we can reach for this. And we've got to uh, find new and effective ways of fulfilling that mission. 
In Acts chapter 2, we find the story of the birth of the church. Today, uh, you know, we, we have many different denominations today and many different Christian groups, but it didn't start out that way. In the beginning, there was just one church, and it was a, by the way, it was a Pentecostal church. I just want to mention that. Uh, there, there was only one head of the church, and his name was Jesus Christ. And a lot of things have changed over the centuries, but in one sense, nothing has changed. Today, there is still only one church. It's, and it's not the Baptist church. It's not the Methodist church. It's not the Catholic church. It's not the Assemblies of God church. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's still the only head of the church. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, in this chapter, we we read how the Holy Spirit came upon those early believers and they were filled with power to be Christ's witnesses. And immediately following the miraculous events of the day and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter, of all people, Peter stood up and, and delivered a sermon that the Holy Spirit used to convict people of their sin and convince them of the true identity of, of the Messiah. And, and on that first day, the first sermon in the church, 3,000 people got saved. Then in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, it's where we're going to be today if you want to turn there. It gives us a glimpse of the early church immediately following the day of Pentecost. So I want to read that and let's see what it was like to be in the church in those days. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 in all. They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their group, Those who were being saved. Now as you read about the birth of the church in in the book of Acts, one of the things you'll see is that they didn't have cathedrals. They, They didn't have church buildings. But the Holy Spirit began to move among them. And the Bible says that they were in unity. That they had all things in common. And they broke bread from house to house. And it was through relationships... That, that, that they were discipled and the church began to grow. They didn't have church services like we have today, not in the same sense and certainly not the same style that we do today. Uh, but, but all they had was that they had people who loved Jesus with their whole heart, who, be, who wanted to connect with other people who loved Jesus with their whole heart so that they could all get closer to Jesus and learn more about him. That's what they had. And I believe the Lord wants to do the same thing today and to become effective in seeing the kingdom of God grow today. One of the first things we have to realize is that everything around us is changing. Anybody notice that? Society is changing at a faster pace today than than ever before in the history of mankind. Now, I want to say this as we talk about this. I want you to understand change is not necessarily bad. In fact, 
change is actually a sign of life. Uh, you know, during my sermon, uh, your body, from what I understand, what I've read, your body is going to change. And about a half million cells in your body are going to die and be replaced with a half million new cells during this message. Uh, or t- I'm told that our skin replaces itself every month. Did you know that 70 to 80% of the dust in your house is dead skin that is flaked off? Anybody else getting grossed out by that? <laughs> some, some of you are now, you're like, I'm going home. I'm dusting and I'm wearing a mask forever, forever. Uh, your, uh, your stomach lining undergoes a complete change every five days. Your liver every six weeks, your skeleton every three months, and your whole body every five years for men and seven years for women. You see, change is natural, and to not change is to die. If that's not taking place in your body, then your body is not going to live. But understand this, that while change is not necessarily bad, the reality is that our world today is in a warp drive kind of change. Anybody here have a smartwatch on? Anybody here? Okay, we got, we got some smartwatches here. L- listen, I want you to understand this. Your, the smartwatch on your wrist contains more computing power than existed in the entire world in 1961. And it's on your wrist. Your car. How many of you know your car is a computational device. You know, your car has more computational power to get you down the street than all of the computers combined in the Apollo 11 spacecraft that carried Neil Armstrong to the moon. We live in a fast-changing world. It has been estimated that more information has been generated in the last 30 years of human existence than in the previous 5,000 years combined. Did you know that the average consumer will hear or see one million marketing messages in a year? Some of you are like, now that I can believe. (laughs) No doubt on that one. That's about 3,000 per day. And I want to know if, you know, if anybody in this place has ever sat down and you, have you ever had your kids say, hey, dad, hey, mom, tell me about the olden days. You know, those olden days when you had to get up and walk across the room to change the TV channel. <laughs> and, and you know what? Things change so much. When I was a kid, weather forecasting was a joke. Well, I guess some things never change. So anyway. Now, we're living in a day when things are more complex than they've ever been in history. But I want you to know it was prophesied that it would be like this. Daniel prophesied in chapter 12, verse 4 of Daniel. He said, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And he says, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Listen, that is, a, that is a, in a nutshell the picture of our world today. The, the reality is that the simple life is slowly but surely slipping out of our grip. And I read a story about a church that was having a little problem. It was a little church in Foxtrot, Alabama. Leave it, leave it to those crimson titers, you know. That was for Gina. But the church board had decided that they wanted to purchase a new chandelier for the building. 
And there were some people in the church having trouble with that idea. And the pastor heard that there was some objections, so he called a special business meeting and asked what the objections were with the chandelier. And one farmer stood up. He said, well, let me tell you. Pastor, he said, I, I, I got three reasons why we, don't, we, we ought not buy a chandelier. He said, first of all, nobody around these parts has ever seen one. He said, second thing, we ain't got nobody in the church that can play the thing. And number three, what we really need is lights in this church. You know, nowadays, the reality is we don't have time to argue about silly, non-essential things like chandeliers. We don't have time to argue about traditions of religion. We don't have time to argue about rights and privileges. We don't have time to argue about music. We don't have time to split theological hairs because we are living at the end of time. And we don't have time to waste arguing about all kinds of things that won't matter one iota when Jesus returns. We live in this complex, changing society. But I also want you to understand this. that While the society is changing, the message of the gospel never changes. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there are those in in our culture today that have said, okay, the world is changing. We've got to change. But they've gone too far and they've begun to change the message. And they've tried to change it to fit in with the way that society is changing. And so some churches, they've taken the cross off of the building. And there are churches that have taken the blood out of their message because they say the cross is a cruel instrument and blood is distasteful for people. But listen, the message of the gospel will always be about a cross and will always be about His shed blood. The message never changes. However, in order to be effective, our methods of doing ministry must change. You can't reach people today using the same methods you used a few years ago. Here's, it's the truth. Listen, you, you can't reach people the same way. Uh, a generation ago, you could pull into a town and you could set up a great big tent in the middle of town and everybody in town would come to the tent just to see what was going on. You know what you do now? You do that. You'll have a few people show up, but you'll have largely an empty tent. Why? Because see, back in those days, people didn't have everything that we have to keep themselves busy. You know, uh, and so when something came to town, they're like, well, what do you want to do tonight? Want to sit on the porch again? No, let's go down and see what's happening in that tent. And they would all come down there and they knew what was going on and they would come to hear the gospel preached. But you know what? Today, people can bring the entire world into their own living room in a matter of seconds. People can have an answer to any question that they, that they ask in five seconds by Googling it. And now you don't even have to type it. You can just talk to your phone and say, hey, what's the answer to this question? And the phone answers you. It's a different world today. It's a different culture in which we live. And you, 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 can't, you can see anything you want to see. You can find anything you want to find. And you never have to leave your living room to do it. So listen, understanding how the world is changing, we as a church have got to understand that we must change our methodology. 
And I want you to understand this. Changing our methodology is scriptural. It says this, and Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9. When I'm with the Jews, I become one of them so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same, even though I'm not subject to the law, so that I can bring them to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not have the Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ, but I do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do all this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy its blessings. Listen, this is about understanding that we have to understand the world in which we live in order to be able to reach the world that God has placed us in. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, uh, when, I'm, when I'm with the Jews, I need to understand their culture so that I can, so I can uh, reach them in that culture. Because if I don't, they're going to reject the message because of my method. The first thing we're going to have to do to increase our effectiveness in these last days... This is a dirty word. So we're going to have to change. And that for years has been a dirty word in the church. If we're going to do more than we've ever done. If we're going to reach more people than we've ever reached. If we're going to see the kingdom of God expand in ways that we've never seen. Then we can't do the same things we've done in the past. And expect different results. The quote is attributed to Albert Einstein that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Listen, we have to understand that the way we do church and the way we live this out has got to change if we're going to reach a culture that has changed around us. And, and, and that's what we're talking about today. But, but I want you to understand this. When we talk about reaching this world and reaching the culture, I want you to understand that God's plan to impact this changing world includes you. It's not about the church as a whole. It's about each of us as individuals. Before you were ever born, God had something that he wanted to do during your time here on this earth. He knew, listen, he knew what our culture was going to be like right now. All of these changes, not one of these changes has caught God off, car, off guard. He, he, he didn't look at it you know, and say, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do now. No, you know what his answer was? He says, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, what I need to do now. Now I, I need to have Lee Winders live during this period because he's going to be able to reach people in this this culture. I need to have, have, have Gina work, uh, live during this time period because she's going to be able to. I need to have Chuck Bryant live during this time period because he's going to be able to reach people in this culture. His answer to the change in this culture was to create you during this time for such a time as this. And God trusts you and he trusts me to be the people who will carry the message of the gospel to this generation. There's something he wants you to do to build his kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny. That we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. 
In Colossians 1.16, For through the Son everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen, every seat of power, realm of government, principality and authority, it was all created through Him and for His purpose. Listen, I read that and I'm saying this to you, I want you to understand... Who you are is no accident. God made you who you are on purpose. You have been designed by God. There are people that you can reach that I'll never be able to reach. There are people that that you can touch that I'll never be able to touch. There are people in your realm, uh, of uh, your sphere of influence that will listen to you that will never ever hear a single word that I have to say. Where you live is no accident. God planted you there on purpose. He put you there. Where you work is no accident accident but God planted you there he put you there on purpose and you are his minister to the people of that business he's planted you there and he's given you this sphere of influence because he has a ministry for you see we need to understand that we operate under a prime directive now are there any other geeks in this building that have ever heard that phrase prime directive before anybody here just a few of us, fellow geeks. It's all right. It's all right. I married a beautiful woman, so I don't care. You can call me a geek all you want. I already won. <laughs> well, that came from the old TV show Star Trek. I used to watch Star Trek, and uh, you can judge me if you want, but like I said, I already won. <laughs> And uh, they would always get themselves in trouble somewhere in the vast reaches of the universe. And it seemed like whenever they got in trouble, you know, Spock would come up to Captain Kirk. And I'm just realizing what a geek I really am as I'm talking about this. <laughs> it's just dawning on me. Wow, you really are a geek. And I apologize to my daughters. Maybe they'll, they'll rebel and become normal people. That's my goal. Anyway, they'd get in trouble and Spock would remind him about the prime directive and, and Jim would say, oh, oh yes, that's right, the prime directive. And, and then, they, then they knew what to do and they got out of the trouble every time. And their prime directive was just never interfere with another planet's culture. But I want you to understand this. I say all that geeky stuff to tell, tell you this. We have a prime directive that has been given to us by Jesus himself, the head of the church, when he said, go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. We have a prime directive. That is our primary mission. Making disciples of all people everywhere is the prime directive of the church. So don't ever wonder what we're supposed to be doing. There's, there's only one mission, and that mission is to make disciples of all men everywhere, to take the gospel everywhere we can. That is our one mission as a church, and, uh, and by doing so, we fulfill His greatest purpose, and that is to glorify the name of Jesus. And that prime directive should motivate everything we do. So I want you to understand this. I've said that God has a plan for you. He's placed you where you are. He's he's created you during this time. He's put you where you live. He's given you the the relationships, the the work uh, situation that you have, your employment. I want you to understand, in that context, making disciples is the ministry that God has given to you. We think of it, you know, oh, it's some teacher up somewhere, but that's because we don't understand discipleship. We don't understand the process of discipleship. So we've got to understand this. uh, And the first thing you've got to understand with this is that discipleship will never happen 
through my preaching alone. It's not going to happen. It will never happen through the teaching of a Sunday school teacher alone. The preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God is vitally important to the health of this church. I believe that. I'm called to that. I I give my best to it. I I pour myself into everything that I do in, in that realm. But I also realized a long, long time ago that my preaching does not fully disciple the people that I'm preaching to. I was in youth ministry for about 20 some odd years. And during that time, I discovered that the students who sat under, under my ministry rarely remembered what I preached. If you are a preacher or a teacher and you need to take yourself down a few notches, go to the people that you're preaching to or teaching and ask them, hey, what did I teach or what did I preach six weeks ago? Some of, you know, for a lot of us, it's like, what, what did I preach last week? Later this afternoon, what did pastor preach this morning? Well, I, it was something about Jesus. I remember that. You know, reality was they, they rarely remembered that. Uh, and, you know, and most of you probably can't remember what I, what I preached. If you, if you remember last week, you might struggle remembering two weeks ago or a few weeks earlier. But, but listen, I'm not offended by that. That didn't bother me because I understand that it's, all, it's really about the cumulative effect of the preaching and the teaching. Because <clears throat> I, I put it this way. I don't remember the full menu of any meal that my wife has ever cooked for me, but they all helped nourish and strengthen me. See, and all the greatest sermons in the world, they don't really disciple people. All they do is give people information and motivation. That's the biggest thing that it can do. Listen, Jesus himself was the greatest teacher that ever walked on the face of this earth. But it was not his great teaching that discipled his disciples. Because if that was all they needed, he wouldn't have said, come and, and walk with me. Come and be with me. He would have said, just show up when I'm, when I'm preaching and you'll be my disciples and I'll get you ready by doing it that way. It was not his great teaching that discipled his disciples. In fact, when he was teaching, they very often did not understand what he was saying to them. How many times did he preach something, he'd teach something, and they'd walk away, you know, in front of the crowd. They're like, that's right, you heard what he said. You, got, you better believe it. And then they'd walk off and say, uh, Jesus, what were you talking about? I, don't, I didn't get that. And he'd have to explain it to them. Well, listen. We need to understand that disciples are made in the context of relationships. You cannot make disciples without relationships. This is what Jesus understood. He, he, he discipled them by, by living with them, by going through life together. You know, those same teenagers that I spoke about a, a few moments ago, they might, might not be, excuse me, let me try it again. They may not be able to remember the sermons that I preached, but this I know. I know that many of them are now serving God today and they, because they were discipled through my relationship with them. They won't remember my sermons, but they do remember me. 
And Jesus discipled his disciples by living with them and sleeping with them and eating with them and playing with them and praying with them and laughing with them and and crying with them by living together with them, going through this life. He discipled them by actually having a relationship with them over that period of three and a half years. And they connected during that time and they bonded during that time. And it was through that means that the disciples, that the the discipleship discipleship took place. Even in praying, they said, Jesus, we have watched you. We have seen you pray. You pray like nobody else. Teach us how to pray. What sparked that? It's what sparked that hunger and that desire was that they were doing life with Jesus. And they said, there's something different here. I want to understand it. And as we do life with other people, as we are growing in the Lord and we, and we begin to intentionally build these relationships with one another, when there's somebody that's, that's more mature in another area and we see that going on in their life, we're able to say, listen, I'm not, I need to talk to you about that because I don't get that. I don't understand that I'm struggling with that can you help me that that is discipleship and it's through connecting with people and bonding with them that discipleship takes place and the Bible says we're we're to disciple each other but I want you to understand this I want you I want this I cannot say this strongly enough we severely stunt our growth as disciples. I mean severely stunt our growth as disciples of Jesus when we don't have authentic relationships with other other believers. When you have a relationship with someone, when you are praying with them and talking to them and laughing with them and experiencing life with them and hurting with them and crying with them and just being with them, it's what that is. That's what the Bible talks about and it says it's iron sharpening iron. Hebrews 10.24 says, and let us consider, think about this, let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. Let's consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. Now listen, that word translated spur can also be translated incite. Doesn't that carry a whole different meaning? So if you're spurring a a, a riot, you're inciting a riot. It's the same idea. He's saying that we need to have relationships that are deep enough to take the risk of spurring your brother and sister toward what is right, toward becoming more like Jesus. Now listen, I don't know much about horses at all. Actually, I know nothing about horses at all. Period whatsoever. End of sentence. But here's what I do know. I'm sure of this. Having a spur pressed into your side cannot be a pleasant experience for the horse. Right? And God is saying here that we need to poke and prod one another toward becoming more Christ-like. And, and when my brother or sister does this, when I have someone that I have, have a deep enough relationship with that they can speak to me in that situation in my life, in that moment, it's probably going to be very uncomfortable for me. And I probably... Let's, let me rephrase. There's not a doubt in my mind... I will, re- I will respond with defensiveness at first. No, that's not true. Can't believe they t- talk to me like that. But listen, if I know that person loves me deeply, and if I know that person is committed to telling me the truth instead of what my ego wants to hear, 
then I will eventually, although sometimes reluctantly, receive what they said, and then I, in turn, will grow spiritually. The problem for many of us today is this. We don't have spiritual relationships that are deep enough to sustain conflict. Even if it's temporary conflict. And therefore, because we don't have relationships like that, we never receive what we need to receive, and we never take the risk of spurring a brother or sister in Christ forward. When we don't have these types of spiritually, excuse me, intimate relationships in our lives, it keeps us from moving into to, to the deep end of the pool in our relationship with Christ. I have no idea what's happening in my voice right now. <clears throat> I might have to change the way I'm preaching now. <laughs> Everybody's going to walk out of here scared. Listen, when we don't have those kind of relationships, it keeps us from moving into the deep end of the pool in our relationship with Christ. And you know what we end up as a church? And this is, you see this all over the place. We end up with grown men playing in the kiddie pool because they, they've never been pushed, they've never been challenged, they've never been held accountable. <clears throat> and, and even if they are, they reject it and become angry with the one who's actually trying to help them grow in the Lord. Therefore, they stop growing and become, <clears throat> excuse me, well, it can't hurt. I don't think it's going to help, but it can't hurt. <clears throat> Maybe I should just talk like this. It doesn't affect my voice. Listen, when that happens, they stop growing. They become lackadaisical, apathetic, half-hearted, and lazy in their spiritual growth. That has happened over and over again in the American church. When we don't intentionally invest in authentic spiritual relationships with other followers or believers, what ends up happening is we become spiritual dwarfs instead of spiritual giants. See, maybe this is good because you'll actually really pay close attention and try to understand what I'm saying. Thank you, Mary Beth. Cup of cold water given in the name of the Lord. May you receive your reward. Anybody thirsty? Listen, when we don't do this, we end up spiritual dwarfs instead of spiritual giants. Boy. Puberty is horrible. <laughs> Lordy. Okay. Okay, here we go. Everybody listen to me. I'm about losing everybody here. We got a long way to go here. <laughs> when we don't do this, We end up staying spiritual children, feeding on milk, when Jesus wants us to grow, to become mature disciples, feeding on the meat of the word. 
Listen, we don't need a bunch of Christians that are self-imposed spiritual midgets running around here at Restoration Life Church. We need people who are committed to growing up in Jesus, committed to moving to the deep end of the pool, committed to the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus so that we can be fully devoted, fully equipped, fully surrendered, and fully effective disciples who are reaching out into their sphere of influence and being used by Jesus to change the lives of the people around us. You cannot make yourself an island to yourself if you want to grow in Jesus. We desperately need to be deeply, deeply connected with other people who are pursuing Jesus with their whole hearts. But I also need you to know that connecting is not just about you and your Christian friends and your growth in the Lord. God wants you to make connections with other people because he wants to connect with other people through you. And, and, and you, listen, all that plan, God has a plan to reach the people in your sphere of influence, but God's plan to reach lost people in your sphere of influence, it's real simple. You, you're the plan. You're the plan. He wants to connect with them through you, but the only way that's going to happen is if you intentionally begin to make connections with them first. You see, we talk about evangelism, but I want you to think of it this way. Evangelism, what that really is, is pre-conversion discipleship. That's really what it is. We, we introduced the spiritual life matrix last week, and it'll be on the screen here again. And, and on, this, on that, you know, negative five is a person who is an atheist, doesn't believe in God, hates God. The zero, that's when somebody makes a decision to follow Christ. And then plus five is when they're fully devoted, fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, when we connect with someone who denies the reality of God and through the influence of our testimony and our lifestyle, he or she discovers that God is real. And, and listen, that is discipleship. They may not have made a decision to follow Jesus yet, but you are, you are influencing them toward Christ, which is the process of discipleship. It's the process, that process of making them a disciple of Jesus has begun. Listen, there is a lot of life going on outside this church. And God is concerned about those people. But discipleship does not start when they come into this building. It's out there. And God is calling us to invest in relationships with people so that the Holy Spirit can draw them to Jesus through those relationships. And God will use your relationships to, uh, with people to prepare them to live. We talked about the dry bones. How is he going to get them ready to live? He's going to use your life. He's going to use your testimony. He's going to use your words. He's going to use how you respond to crises in your life. He's going to use all of those things and he's going to prepare them and begin to move them closer to Christ until there is a point where they're going to be forced to decide, am I going to follow Jesus or not? Because I can see the reality in this person's life. Now you can't make them make that choice. When that critical time comes, they have to choose themselves whom they're going to follow. 
But I'm telling you this, God will use you. And through your relationship with people, God will move people from that negative four to a negative three to a negative two to a negative one. And then in due time, the Holy Spirit will reach their heart just like he reached you. And they'll, and they'll make that decision. They'll face that crisis moment where they say, I, I believe that Jesus really is who he said. Am I going to follow him or not? Well, listen. In order to effectively reach and disciple people, here's what I want you to understand. We have to be intentional. This does not happen accidentally. We have to be intentional. In order to effectively reach and disciple people, we must be intentional about creating places for people to connect with each other and connect with God. Now, this is a place where we hope that people can connect with God. But this is not a setting that is very conducive for you to connect with other people. Because you're sitting there listening to one guy talk. There's no relationship building that's going on here. And, and, and you know, you'll have a few conversations before and after church, but this is, this is, not, this is not where we're going to be able to move beyond that. And so our vision is that connect groups will be that place where we can intentionally develop relationships with each other and bring in lost people into those groups so that we can intentionally build relationships with those who are lost so that through our lives together, He can grow us up and bring them to Jesus. The point is, we cannot expect people to come to this church building. Yes, do we want them to come? Absolutely. Should you invite them to come? Yes, yes, please do. Every week, invite at least one person to, to join you in church. Make that a goal. That's important. But you know what? We can't expect people just to come to this building and say, well, our responsibility is done. We've got to find ways to take the gospel to them. See, there, there's too much cynicism, cynicism and skepticism in the world to expect them just to show up. Now, the Holy Spirit will move on people. He'll bring them in. And, and it's not an either-or thing. The Bible talks about, He says, come and see. That's what this is about. Come and see what God can do. Come and see. Come and taste. And we invite people in. But He also said, he's, He didn't just say, come and see. He also said, go and tell. So it's not one or the other, it's both at the same time that makes us the most effective that we can possibly be. But listen, the, the world out there is filled with cynicism and skepticism to the point, uh, listen, there have been, people have been hurt by the church, they've been hurt by people who abused the influence that God gave them, and, and, and people that maybe have turned it into selfish money-grabbing thing. The world has seen that, they distrust the church, they, the, 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 they distrust pastors anymore, and, and the world is, is seeing all of that and the only way that we're going to convince this world of the truth of the gospel is letting them get to know us so that they can see what a real Christian looks like. They'll see that you're not perfect. Anybody here? Are you willing to admit you're not perfect? Some of you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> Next week we'll be talking about pride. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. They'll see you're not perfect. You know, that's, they, they, they like to accuse Christians of saying, oh, they just think they're so much better. No, no, no. See, when you get to know a real Christian, that Christian doesn't look at anybody and say, I'm better than you. 
Because that's not Christ-like. That's a person. But a real Christian looks at him and says, you know what? I'm just as broken. I have, I have sinned just as much as you, but I found grace. I found forgiveness. I'm different now because of what Jesus did. Listen, Ephesians 4 shows us God's plan for ministry. We'll bring us to a close. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 12 says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. So that verse says that I'm God's gift to you. So anyway, anyway, just, just kidding. Verse 12, but I'm not. <laughs> verse 12, their responsibility... Okay, this is, he's saying, listen, this is why God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That means for every believer, my, my responsibility as a believer is to do the work of the ministry, and to build up the church, the body of Christ, in every way that I can. That's my responsibility as a Christian, not as a pastor. My responsibility as a pastor is to help you learn how to do that. That doesn't excuse me from, not doing, those, from doing those things. I still have that same responsibility as you, but I have the added responsibility of being called by God to equip the church to do what the church needs to do, to equip the church to carry out the ministry that God has given to us. See, what it says here is the pastors are the equippers. This is the place where you're, where you're supposed to be equipped for ministry. Let me ask you a simple question. Who is supposed to be equipped? You are very good. So I'm glad, you know, I'm sure somebody's out there ready to answer Jesus because that's always the answer. You know, when you don't know the answer in church, yell Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do. Number two, the pastors are the quippers. Number two, you are the ministers. You are the God ordained ministers to your sphere of influence outside of these walls. And who are you to minister to? Your sphere of influence is your congregation. The people in your neighborhood are your congregation. The people you work with are your congregation. The people that in your family are your congregation. And God had a plan and a purpose for you before you were ever born. And God is going to use you to draw people to Jesus. You see, out there is the real congregation. Here in this building are all the ministers. And this is the place where you come to be equipped. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to change the way we think. Mary Beth, if you could come on up. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to change the way we think because we live in a culture that is so consumer-oriented and the church should not be that way, but that it has crept into the church and taken over the church and we have this consumer mentality. And we, listen, we even call it church shopping. And the whole idea is I'm going to find a church that makes me feel good. I'm going to find a church that, that I like. I find a church that has ministries that I like. And, and listen, that's not what I, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to change the way we think so that we ne- no longer think that church is about us or our pleasure or our preferences. See, we, we need to be about the business of making disciples. 
God wants to transform your life and He wants to transform the lives of people you, you know that are walking around in darkness around you. Your life, listen, your life can become a doorway for the Holy Spirit to use to bring people into the kingdom of God. That's, that's all we want to be. Lord, use me to introduce people to Jesus so that through my life they can enter the kingdom. Now, only God can save a person, but He wants to use you. You, through your testimony, through your lifestyle, through the relationship that you build with them, you then can influence them toward God, and the Holy Spirit will do the work in their life. Now listen, it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take several years, but, but listen, uh, this is what I know, that, that the Holy Spirit is going to begin working in their life to move them toward Jesus Christ. But one last thing I want to say about it, and this is so important. In the midst of all of this and understanding this is our calling, this is the ministry God has for us, we need to remember this. We must have God's help. Zechariah 4.6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord All-Powerful. You know, the early church was successful in ministry because Jesus had already said, you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And because, he says, listen, because you receive that power, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, our part in this whole thing is just to say, Lord, if you can use me, here I am, I give myself to you. And if you will do that, if you will say, Lord, I, I want to I be used by you to, to make a difference in the relationships that you've given to me, to, to use those relationships and to see people connected to God because of my life and my, my friendship with them. If you do that, I'm here to tell you, he will anoint you and your life. He will anoint you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I don't believe God wastes the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit on people who are not willing to, to do what God is calling them to do. But when you take that step, when you say, okay, Lord, here I am, but you say, I can't do it on my own, he says, that's all right, I got you. I got your back. I'm going to fill you with power. I'm going to anoint your life. And when that happens, you will find effectiveness in your ministry and effectiveness in your life, in your, in your walk with the Lord that you thought was reserved for other people. Now listen, you're not going to be by yourself. We're going to equip you. We're going to do what we can to help you grow. We'll train you. God will anoint you. And then God is going to use you for the rest of your life to make disciples. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe it's possible? I said, do you believe it's possible? Do you think God wants this church to step up to the next level and be more effective than we've ever been before? Amen. Let me hear you say amen. amen. God has called you to be a minister, not just a supporter of ministry. So make yourself available to God today. Bow your head and let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the exciting call that you placed on our lives.